Welcome to episode three of season three of Matire Gemi, a bi-weekly podcast where we help you learn the Agekoyo culture, history, and heritage in English and in a fun, light-hearted way. My name is Jeriwa Diho, Nademojiro Wabarea Kehara. And as usual, I'm joined by Wayaki Wageshaga and Kingori Wakanyi. Today, I really want to invite you to listen in closely in this episode. And I invite you to do so because by the time you're done, you will be filled with so much pride about who you are. And you'll be filled with so much pride when you start to uncover what we know about our history and an incredible hero called Wangobe Waihora. And if you do not know who that legend is, lean in. Because one of the things you'll understand is the role that this man, this hero, played in keeping our destiny intact and without the piercing of slavery. How were the Ayekoyo able to keep away the slave traders who were Arabs, the slave traders who were Goan, the slave traders who were Europeans? Lean in and allow yourself to be overwhelmed with pride as we talk about Wangobe Waihora. Well, here we are talking about the next hero in the pre-colonial Ayekoyo history. So why don't we start with some introductions? But before we do that, Wayaki, you know, who are we talking about today? Today we are talking about uh, Wangobe Waihora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, more on that uh, in a bit. All right, I can't wait. But why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Wayakiwage Shaga, Mosherawa Barea Muturi, and I'm happy to be here. Wonderful, welcome. Well, Kingori, you're leading our conversation <coughs> today, so maybe introduce yourself first. Yes, thank you. Kingori Wakanyi, Oboiwa Barea Marigo, Na Nyumete. Niri Teto. So I'm from Teto, and I'm so excited because today uh, this gentleman we're talking about actually hailed from that part of the country. Ah, is your people? Our people. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So tell us about this hero, Wango Bewaihura. Yeah, so if ever we came uh, close in the, in, the, in the last few centuries, to having a Mudamaki that was close to being a king, this was this was the man. This was Wangobe Waihora, um, and you know he, you know he was born in the early eighteen. I actually want to say mid eighteen hundreds, so maybe eighteen forty, eighteen fifty, and he he comes about at the time where there's great prosperity in northern Gekoyo country. Uh, so the areas of Nyeri, Moranga, those areas were doing very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a time of a lot of cattle in Nyeri, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, sheep and goats. It was a wealthy time. Uh, it was also a time that uh, the, the Maasai incursions into Nyeri, ta- into Nyeri were at an all-time low. Mm-hmm. And to give a little, uh, you know, 
back uh, history, a little bit of um, some context. This is a time when uh, the Maasai are going over, they, they're having these conflicts uh, that were called uh, Ilkiop Wars. Mm -hmm. and, and they're having like inter-clan warfare. So they're kind of distracted. They're not focusing on us. I see. They're having a, a lot of a lot of drama happening there. So then we take that time to build our wealth. Exactly. There's a lot of kids. We were told that there was like babies that were being born. It was a boom time for for Agekoyo. So this is when we see this gentleman come into into play. And so Wangobe Ihura was um, um, born to uh, a gentleman in Kamakwa village in Teto. Uh, he, he, you know, this gentleman was called Ihorawa Karago, Karogo, and he was a Kikuyu trader. So they were doing so well that his job was actually to go trade. He would take all the food stuff that we had, take him into Maasai country and trade them for cattle. Ah. And so it, it's an interesting backdrop to see what was happening. We just know these farmers, there was a lot of trade happening at this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wango would uh, uh, accompany him. And so, you know, the, 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 in his early life, that's what he's exposed to. But something tragic happens. Mm. Um, his father is killed by the Laikipiap Ma Maasai uh, during one of these trade missions. <clears throat> we know that his mother was actually from that community. So the mother was a Mokavi. And um, this kind of introduces him to us as what we call a higa. Mm -hmm. And I know we'll be talking about another higa later. <laughs> but yes. introduces him as a higa, which is, maybe you can let Oyaki tell us what a higa is. Hey, I was going to say, because one of us here is a higa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a, in the lineage. <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the word higa has, has several meanings. It could mean to close. Uh, and actually, we used to call our uh, gates because mm -hmm. you know it's closed um, it's what protects you from the outside also a higa could be somebody who uh, keeps their cards close to their chest uh, and doesn't uh, let uh, you know who they really are right? like me yes <laughs> <laughs> but literally uh, the word higa literally means hypocrite Ah, yes. So they're not like me. <laughs> <laughs> we are yet to find out. <laughs> but yeah, higa has several uh, meanings. But you know, the literal meaning is is to close as a verb, um, and then as you go to higher meanings, it means someone who is closed, and and it's used in everyday uh, language to determine closed concealed mm. but then when it refers to a person's character it could mean somebody who is kind of like uh two personality hypocritical uh you can't really read them mm. and uh Close books mm. pretty much yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so but what does it have to do with the maasai right that's a that's a good question so uh, a lot of the higas that are known uh ones that would straddle the the fence between Kikuyu land and Maasai land. They would understand that both languages could speak them frequently, uh, uh, fluently, or both. And so you didn't really know, is this person uh, on the Maasai side? 
is this person oh, on the Kikuyu side? And like like uh, Kingori mentioned, the Eloy cop was were well, very brutal uh, and displaced a lot of Maasai. Uh, and so they, they came into, into they encroached into Kikuyu land, some of them who were displaced. And so you find a lot of intermarriages between the Kikuyu and the Maasai. And so you find people who can speak both languages. Ah, thank you. All right. Yeah. Back to you, King <clears throat> so, that, so that is why we can refer to him as a higa, okay. or at least the people around him used to think of him as such. Which makes sense, because as a kid, he used to go trading there, so mm-hmm. he probably picked up the language, right? Exactly. And plus, his mother was a, a, a Mokavi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what would happen is, so, so when, during one of these missions, like we said, trade, trade um, uh, excursions, uh, his father was killed and he was detained there. He was actually uh, captured. Mm-hmm. And then he escaped. He escaped because he could. He found his way to his mother's village, origin, origin village, uh, where he stayed a little bit and then he was able to leave uh, and go back to Teto. But by the time he got back to Teto, um, the people there would not trust him. And this is where that Higa thing becomes really... Um, uh, we can focus on it a little bit. And he, he's, never, he's not able to stay there. He's, he's really, they find him to be a suspicious character. And uh, he escapes when he's, he finds out that probably they were out to harm him. Uh, and he goes to Madeira where he had other relatives. And that's kind of where his story really develops. And that's where we see him uh, grow up and he's having this, his youthful prowess come to be uh, developed. Yeah. I, I can't wait to learn about him ahead. Yeah, so so like I said, you know, he grew up at a time when um, the Koyos were having a lot of success, and so we introduced to this young man who's now a warrior. He enters a warrior class after his irua, and uh, does very well, distinguishes himself, and eventually becomes this you know senior warrior who has great repute. And this is where we see. Um, a story that is told by none other but, but than, than our first president, Jomo Kenyatta, where he's really describing uh, something about this person, this uh, Wango Behora. We see a, an amazing story. And before we move on, I want to uh, give special thanks to Madaga.com. There's a gentleman there who was able to help me get a hold of this uh, story uh, because I think, and we, you know, without him, I want to say thank you. You can find any of these books that we're talking about that we've been able to reference there. So I think he's a special gentleman there. We thank you. You're doing good work. Keep it up. So it said that he was a very well-built young man. Mm. And so when he entered uh, the senior warrior class, that's when we introduced to the Kevata dance because apparently he was a very good Kevata dancer. And Kevata, like I said, you know, it was you know these young men would... Uh, really strip naked. They would apply oil and red ochre and ira on their faces, you know, the white powder on their faces, and all these things. And then they would dance with their swords mm-hmm. where they would toss them high in the air and grab them. So it was like this high stakes, you know, kind of thing that they were doing. They would, you know, they would dance with their shields and all these things. And this was in full glare of the community. And the women would, as you can expect, you know, they would sometimes let out involuntary gemis. Involuntary gemis. Yeah, gemis are no shakahe. You know, it was, it was a spectacle. Mm. Ah, Angeli would have loved it. I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm already visualizing. You're visualizing it. Yeah, and these are well built. They would and these are they are jumping. What everything and you can imagine playing with spears. Yeah, playing you know? with spears and like like it too. And so it was just this uh, beautiful, beautiful dance um, that uh, you know they were prepping for in this particular time when we were meeting him. Um, and um, there's a sound of war. That is, uh, trumpets are blown. You know, we used to have this uh, shoro. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they heard that uh, that alarm. While they were dancing. While they were preparing to oh. go for this great feast that had been prepared. Okay. Yeah. And during these times, any of these feasts, this was uh, after um, harvests, as we've uh, previously described in the past. And this particular one is after a millet harvest, which was, there's a lot of a shoro everywhere. Uji, and you know, goats are being slaughtered, cows are being slaughtered. People are just in a merry-making mode. Mm-hmm. People are drinking, and so the Maasai knew that this was the right time for them to attack. because ah, they are distracted. They're distracted. Yeah. So this is going to be an easy picking, yeah. and this is at the time where there's so much cattle in Kikuyu land that they have. Uh, Maasai type kraals, you know the what do you call them? The bombers, the mm-hmm. um, they, they have plenty. The enclosures, the enclosures, yeah, they are plentiful in Kikuyu country because the cattle are just plentiful, and so they are, they are, they were going to come, you know, pick them off, uh, perhaps recuperating uh, their losses from other right. incursions they were having with other Maasai groups, yeah, and so this is where we see Wangobe distinguish himself in one of the battles. Where he's, um, where you know, they send spies who could actually speak Maasai, mm. and they use Dorobo to get information on the position of their advancing Maasai, and so so they, so they lay traps for them, and they ambush them while they were on the attack. So they weren't caught flat-footed. Okay. Um, and so the story is told about how while they were. Now, uh, you know, taking an upper hand in the battle, the tide, the tide had turned and Wangombe and his team was winning. They were winning. Ah. And so once... So Wangombe at that time, in terms of with the other warriors, he had distinguished himself <coughs> as a, a leader, a great warrior? Yes, he was actually the, the leader okay. of, the, of the warriors in this particular area of Madeira. Okay. He was the, you know, he was not in the, he was not a Moduri Wakiyama yet, but he was in the Jabaita. We talked about uh, the Njamas, you know, the councils. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a leader of the, of the, the, the senior council. council. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, senior war council. Okay. And so... So he hadn't, because he hadn't rashiad yet. He hadn't found a mama. At this point, you know, at this point, no, he would okay. not have been married. Okay. Yeah. But, or actually, as a senior warrior, you could be married, but it was not a prerequisite. Okay. Yeah. But, um, so... So they're, they're winning. Mm. And the leader of the advancing party from the Maasai was wearing this amazing headgear with ostrich feathers and what have you. And, you know, he really wanted it as a trophy. Wangobe wanted Wangobe. that headgear. Yes, because yeah. he was like, I'm going to take this thing as a trophy. Yeah. And so he managed to subdue the guy. And just as about, he was about to deal a, a spear into his body, the young man spoke to him in Kimasai wow. and told him, you know, brother, don't kill me. 
and Wangobe recognized him. He, he was actually a Kikuyu who had left with his mother mm-hmm. and had moved to the, you know, this Maasai community and grew up as a Maasai. Wow. So he saw himself in that yeah. young man and he actually remembered him as a child. They were childhood friends. Yeah. Wow. And so he spared his life. But in order to spare his life, uh, he spoke in Kimasai and commanded the Maasai troops to put their arms down lest he kill their leader. And because they felt they actually knew that they were already kind of subdued at this point, they surrendered. Mm. So when they surrendered, they, uh, it is said that uh, a lamb was brought and slaughtered and they all um, cooled their heels in its entrails. So, and it's a very significant thing because in Gekoyo, sometimes goats are, are, are used and sometimes sheep is, are used in a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And in this case, sheep is used when you're trying to horia. Mm, to calm the situation. To calm situations. Okay. And so they had a treaty that day. Okay. And a blood brotherhood was born between this, the Maasai and the Kikuyu of Teto of at that point. And it would emerge that Wangobe kind of became the influential figure for both of those uh, warrior uh, classes. And from then on, um, they would start fighting together. Mm. against common enemies. Sometimes they will even be fighting other Kikuyu cultures, uh, co- communities, but together. If they were attacked, they could call upon the Maasai to help wow. them and vice versa. So they re- literally started moving, protecting each other, almost becoming like a community. Exactly. Two communities combined. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There was a very serious ally, ally, uh, alliance. alliance that was built between the two communities. So that's kind of that that's you know there's, a, there's so many stories about him yeah. in his youth yeah. but we're going to we have to move on uh-huh. because as a muduri wakema even more comes into focus let me add something to this so uh, you you know we uh, as a community there's a lot of uh, tribal knowledge on the actual regiments uh, of war that used to happen you know the we had an organized hierarchy of leadership and warrior ranks with its own um, initiation into those warrior ranks and also initiation into leadership with uh, deep philosophies of, of, of war that mm. actually exist and that are talked about by some of our scholars. So even if you think about the 1800s, 1700s, we as a community were very organized in how we we managed our security, how we managed our men's and women's affairs. We we had a system even before colonialism came. Mm-hmm. So like Wangobe, Waihora being a leader uh, of his warrior ranks, he had to rise to that mm-hmm. and he had to be initiated into it. So we, we tend to think of these wars we're talking about or these skirmishes as primitive, but there was a lot of strategy. Uh, there was a lot of uh, surveillance, spies, and so on. Mm. Right. So we have to think about, uh, when we think about war today, we think about First World War, Second World War. We think about you know organized tanks, guns, uh, strategy, and so on. But even our communities had those strategies, um, and ways of organizing 
yeah. uh, to protect ourselves. We had great militaries, right? Like mm-hmm. you're saying, contrary to what we might see on TV, mm-hmm. in movies where you see these, uh, I'm going to just call it, naked Africans running randomly, right? Mm-hmm. right? And then clashing. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it was because... No. You had to have military systems to protect your community, mm. just as today mm-hmm. every country has military systems. That's right. right. So it's just recognizing the sophistication exactly. of our military systems. That's how we protected ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, and you can see there were complexities, peace treaties, yeah. uh, you know, uh, treaties of uh, what do you call it? Mutual cooperation between different groups. This, these things were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and let me just jump in. I'm yeah, so sorry right. because no, no, no. the more you say this, the more I want to us to remember, right, that our ancestors were not backward. Mm-hmm. Just because things were not written on paper, the last thing we should continue to embrace is the notion that we were colonized because we were backward and inferior, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That was not the case, no. right? We were overpowered militarily, right? But we were not backward. And I love these stories because they keep reminding us of who we are, mm-hmm. our depth, our knowledge, our strategic thinking. Anyway. And our triumph. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. So yeah. going through difficult times and being able to be here, you know, we are children of those ancestors we're talking about. Yeah. Love it. All right, Kengori. Right. <laughs> Let's go back to, yeah, one of your ancestors. Wow, yeah? Wow, yeah. So, so, um, so he would serve in Jamaita, uh, which is, as we said, is a war council, and he was a commander. So in, a, in, in addition to being a member of the Kiama, he was also a war commander. And this was not unusual. There are many different types of uh, Kema elders. You have, uh, you know, the Kema elders who are militarily apt, uh, and you have Kema elders who are more uh, into the kerera, you know, the wisdom and, and, and spiritual uh, undertakings. And then you have Kema elders who are more judicial. They were like, a, you know, they were um, accomplished judicial practitioners. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of like the three ways you can look at how leadership would be segmented. There are other complex ways of looking at it, you know, types of leaders, but these are, these are kind of like the three main buckets. And so we see a perfect sample of, of such in, 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 in Wangobe Waihora. And one of the things he did is, um, you know, he, he started this system. And I think, I don't know how old the system is or whether he just did it better, but it was called Kwarahora Jama. Mm-hmm. And that is visiting neighboring villages and inspiring their warrior class mm-hmm. and, and kind of indoctrinating them towards a particular ideal, which was the unity. And so he, was, he, he became something of a diplomat mm-hmm. uh, and a statesman. So he go to other Adamakis. They would send tributes to each other. You know, he would, you know, and, you know he was a really, he, he would make these mini state visits. He would welcome them to come to their village and they would held, hold them in high regard. And in this way, he created a bond and unity in the Gekoyo land that hadn't been seen in a while. Wow. Um, and it was, you know, it, was ne- it turned out to be the, exactly what Gekoyos needed at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, even though I think, you know, he, he, because he had an alliance even with people like Wayakiwa Higa, he had, uh, there's a gentleman called Gakeri, even Karori, Wagakure. Wagakure. these are people who he ended up having alliances with. 
even though we will see that he had some conflict with, some, with one of them later on. Um, at this time, at the same time when this is happening, um, it happens to be a very interesting time in East Africa. The East Africa slave trade is happening, mm. and it's actually hitting a crescendo. And the, um, the Arabs and the Swahili and even the Kamba are implicated in this. Mm. We see a, ca a character in that time called Tipu Tip. Mm -hmm. You may remember that guy mm -hmm. from history. History class. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and we're seeing that um, the, the, uh, this gentleman is unable to penetrate um, our area of, of Kenya. As in the Koyo area the, or just the ge Generally, area? Okay. there was a buffer created by the Maasai. Ah. Right? And so the Tipu Tip and his guys, they had to go around. In fact, they ended up setting up he ended up setting up a, a, a kingdom, Tipu Tip himself, in Congo. Because they had to just avoid going through the Maasai, this yeah. area. Even yeah. though they were coming from Mombasa and uh, Zanzibar, mm -hmm. they could not cross directly into, into Maasai areas. Right. The Maasai was a, were very formidable. Yeah. And, they were, and they hated any act of slavery That's and things true. of that nature. Yeah. So we are seeing, though, that there were a lot of Arab caravans that were venturing into even Gekoyo territory. Mm -hmm. And one of them um, kind of created a disturbance in, 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 in Wangombe's time, uh, where they come and he's heard, okay, who are these people? They used to call them Vokomo or Shoba. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, who are these people? What do they want? And they realized, no, no, what they actually wanted is to trade. Mm -hmm. And what they said they wanted was ivory uh, and the food. In and in, in, in their place, they would be giving us uh, copper, beads, cloth. And so it looked very attractive. And so we went into trade with them for these items. Uh, but they started attempting to enslave our people. Mm -hmm. And Wangobe thwarted it yeah. brutally wow. by killing off a lot of these Arabs and even taking their guns. And so he started having a military that actually had some weapons that were uh, muskets, yeah. if you would. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he, and then he created a very small, allowable band of traders that are Arabs, and created, uh, you know, made it such that in order for you to venture into his territory, you had to leave your leader to be his state guest ah, at his compound. Right, yeah. as insurance. You go yeah. and do your trading, yeah. uh -huh. and then collect your leader on your way out. On your way out. Yeah. That was the insurance policy. Mm -hmm. That was the insurance policy. So he started doing things like that, um, and so he was. He's credited for creating um, peace and preventing uh, slavery to for, befall upon our, our people. Wow, you know that makes me feel so proud, mm -hmm. right? That's the emotion that's coming through me. Is that Wangobe, right? Mm -hmm. His actions ultimately protected us from suffering the fate that so many of our brothers and sisters, not only in, in East Africa, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. in Africa suffered, right? Yeah. right? right. So, yeah. so much, wow, as we say, give gratitude to him mm -hmm. and those around him for doing that. Mm -hmm. Because that, our fate could have been very different, right. our destiny right. as Agekoyo, right? Right. Yeah. right? yeah, agreed. And he, he actually did contribute to um, an image that the people at the coast had about the interior. They knew, mm -hmm. don't mess with the Kikuyu and don't right. mess with the Maasai. The Maasai. Maasai. Yeah. And because uh, between us, there would be like the Pokomo and the Akamba, 
the Akamba were known to kind of play both sides eh? okay. of that particular slave trade. Um, and so, so meaning that there potentially could have been Wakamba who they were traders. Yeah, they slaves. were traders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, and, and also they, they participated. Oh, in the trading. Yeah, that is the way we tell the story from us, the way we saw it, okay. is that they were participating in it. Okay. And so there, there's, um, there, there's an idea that also, because the Akamba were traders, long-distance traders, and used to be the ones before the Arabs started coming in, they're the ones who were, who were doing the trade with uh, for items they wanted from the coast. Mm-hmm. Um but they were being seen as, at this point, as kind of holding back, holding out on the traders, on the Arabs, because they had a lot of excuses about why they didn't want to trade with the Maasai and the, and the Kikuyu. And so they were being seen as a nuisance at this point. Oh, okay, and the okay. Arabs were looking for a way to... To bypass them. To bypass yeah. them, yeah. Right. Uh, because they would keep saying, no, those guys don't mess with them, they're, they're, <laughs> you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so the Arabs were, were starting to do that. And... Very soon after that, the Europeans were too, right? So we start seeing the European caravans, mm-hmm. not just Europe, even Goans, the Indian mm-hmm. caravans mm-hmm. were coming in. So this is a time when Kikuyu country is changing. Changing completely. There are, there's a lot of contact with different people. Even Agekoyo are going to the coast now to go see what's right. going on there. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of... Um, uh, Open things are opening up a bit. Um, they, it's it, you know, Agekoyo learned Swahili a really long time ago. Actually, if you look at the history of the way Kiswahili spread, you'll find it's not a it's not an it's not by accident that Kiswahili spread to all six or five or six nations in mm. East, East Africa. Mm-hmm. No, it's the traders. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. a it was a language of trade of yeah. currency. You know, your great grandmother probably knew a few Kiswahili words. Yeah. You know, Marikuja, Makaeda. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you knew they, they spoke some Kiswahili. You know. Yeah. And so you know, and then and then now, sorry, uh, go, going back to the story, are the Europeans are now coming in, and they are also interested in, interested, in, interested in trade. Now we're talking about uh, eighteen eighty apple. You know, mm-hmm. um, we know that from history, I think Kraft, mm-hmm. uh, so what was that guy? Uh, Frederick Lugard. Frederick Lugard. Yeah. Um, the, the first guy to say he saw Mount Kenya, the first European, um, was something like I 18... His, I forget his name. It was pretty early, like 1850 yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get to Kikuyu country. Um, he got to... Um, uh, Ukambani, um, and he saw it, right? Okay. But the first person we are told to even attempt to climb Mount Kenya is in 1880-something. The first European. Right. Not attempt. the first Not the first person. Not the first, person. The first, the first European. Clearly, we guided him all <laughs> yeah, the way we, are, we, we probably lifted him <laughs> right. and carried him up there. Yeah. Um, but so you have uh, this European disturbance starts to happen where they're coming in and they're asking they want to trade and they allowed, especially Karori Wagakure, mm-hmm. who had made a con- contact with them much earlier, and now kind of was very friendly with the with the with the with the Europeans. The same Karori from episode same two. Gen- gen- yeah. Same gentleman. This Karori is a Same gentleman. He was a very respected uh, leader, <laughs> but, you know, but he had seen something. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm mean, j- no, joking. joking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but you know he he actually Karuri actually sends emissaries and to Wangobe mm. and says 
yeah, these are good guys. They want to trade. Um, and so, and, but they have a style. They have a different style. They want to set up a trading post. Mm-hmm. So they just want to just come and go. They want to they space. Yeah. Set up a hub. And, and, that and, to me rings off. Slave trade, when you have a hub, right? Like a hub for bringing your things, your, whatever, your storage unit. It was actually... Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just a place to... And you want a, a depot. Yeah. 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 Like and storage. So he, yeah. yeah. A place for them to... To be coming, the rest, okay. yeah, those things. Yeah. <laughs> and it made sense, you know? And so yeah. that was granted. Okay. And it's not just one, because it, the strategy seemed to make sense. Oh, you just want a place where you can stop and do, you know, an inn. Sour. So he... So it was allowed, but this is how the Europeans had started to infiltrate, um, infiltrate create influences. And one of those guys to do that was a guy called John Boyes. Mm. John Boyes is one of the people who we learn a lot about, uh, also Angobe from, and Karori and those other people, because he wrote a book dubiously titled uh, The King of Wakikuyu, How mm-hmm. I Became ah, King of Wakikuyu. He's a ca- yeah. character, he's a weird, right. weird character. Um, in fact, he even claims how he struck a blood brotherhood with uh, with Wangobe and another Dorobo king and another Maasai king. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make any sense when you look at what he's saying um, because he says that um, uh, they sold him Mount Kenya for 20 sheep. Mm-hmm. Mount Kenya. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, there's a lot of stories. And right. you, and, but I don't like focusing on that yeah. because... The character is just a dubious one, right? Yeah, and so whatever he's saying, we can't take it right. uh, too seriously. And I, I think he also wanted to embellish the stories in that book. I think I have that book in my in my library. He wanted to establish or uh, embellish the stories to to sell the book too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, just he's, to create yeah buzz. Because uh, yeah. if you take those stories, think about it. If you take those that book back to Europe and mm. the Americas. Mm. How many copies are you going to sell? It read like Tarzan. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he went and became the king of the savages. There right? you go. Yes. There you go. Yeah. 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 So, but Europeans, of course, would take advantage of the generosity and, you know, started to try and, you know, make serious inroads into the community. Um you know, the unity that uh, had been forged by Wangobe was proved to be very important mm-hmm. in, you know, our ability to coordinate efforts moving forward from this point. Um, there was uh, eventually when Wangobe started to push him back against the Europeans, it kind of led to a conflict with Shif Karori. And this is one where we see Wangobe kind of uh, break those alliances and actually attack Shif Karori. Uh, twice. And the first time he was able to kind of go and take his uh, cattle and things of that nature, kind of went back into that old mode of warrior, warriorhood. And he was an elderly man at this time. Um, it is said that he had something like 3,000 warriors when he would make these raids. He's said to have made a raid in also other Kikuyu communities like Ndia in Kirenyaga. So those are controversial stories, but they come to us from the same sources. Mm-hmm. So you're like, how much do you want to take this story yeah. and, 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 and run with it? Uh, but he does, that is claimed that he did that. And that, um, but eventually when he attacked Karori the second time, Gakore, Karori kind of outsmarted him. And um, they had an, a peace treaty. And after that, they never fought anymore. And the peace, you mm-hmm. know, followed uh, as, of, as of that point. Um, but this is what, you know, you know, soon after that, he actually died, and which was 1902. 
when he said to have died and was succeeded by Deriwa Wangobe, who becomes a colonial chief that we will be seeing down the line in this season. Wow. Yeah. What a powerful story. Yeah, absolutely, right? yeah. What a man. Why did I not know about him before today? <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. All right, Wayaki, any, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I want to say um, that energy uh, of Kwarahora Jama, uh, you know, when energy is, energy is not lost, it, it's just transmitted or it's moved from, from one form to another, but it's never lost. So that energy that Wangobewa um, Ihora uh, managed to put in the, in the Kikuyu community is the same energy that uh, was used, uh, which we'll come to see in the uh, resistance movement in the Mau yeah. Mau. Yeah. Uh, it's the same energy that we had, that same fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used that fire to be able to fight against colonization. Yeah, and energy is passed on generationally as it, well, it is. right? Which I think, I love that connection, right? That that same energy, that same fire is what, you know, we use when we're trying to resist colonialism, right? Mm. So what are the implications? Like, how well does this translate into today, King Ori? Yeah, yeah. Even, even going back to the 20th century, uh-huh. soon after he exits, um, Wangobe's story is already kind of like a fable. Kids are told this story when they are when they were, you know, in that fireplace being told, you know, and young men were kind of inspired by this and they wanted to be uh, a Wangobe. Uh, especially in Nyeri, because we see um, a lot of characters come out of Teto, including, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Wamogumo. Mm-hmm. Well, Wamogumo was like a big, big, strong guy. Mm-hmm. who literally existed, but when you listen to the stories mm-hmm. of Wamogumo, it's like you're talking about... A mythical. A mythical guy. It's like, yeah. I don't know, Luanda Magere or right. something yeah. of the nature. Shaka Zulu. Yeah. Shaka Zulu. And he was... Wamogumo was another guy from Teto who was like that. And, and he said... But, you know, they, I think they embellished because they used to say he could eat... Had a calf mm. <laughs> <laughs> in one sitting. Right? I think he was that's a giant. Yeah, <laughs> but but he did work for yeah. Wazungu, okay. and when the Idamirong came, the time of the people were being moved from the from the homes. From the homes. Um, he worked for Mzungu, and w- one of the jobs he did was um, uh, he used to hold cattle when they're being inoculated, yeah. and that's you know like he would just hold cattle. <laughs> Like the the cow is not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. They, you can do anything you want cow to do. Surrendered. He, the cow just surrendered to him. He said to have been able to carry a cow. He was like a super strong guy yeah. uh, that came from a part of the country. But I think those kinds of stories inspired the Mau Mau movement. Again, we're seeing uh, Dedan Kemathi, those people coming from that area. Nyeri was known for producing Jaba. These people mm-hmm. who uh, were extraordinary fighters, uh, and they kind of like they were they. They, they were the last ones mm. to draw breath, you know, in the fight for the colonial period. And I think we'll probably unpack that later in the season. Uh, in today, I think let's. It shows us the the, the you know we need to to really uh, cultivate these stories. Yeah. They need to be heard. Mm-hmm. Then this the children need to hear these stories. 
this is like Aesop's fable. This is like listening to a story about Achilles, he, Achilles, yes. other people, Trojan Atlas. War, Atlas, those people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Luanda Magere. You know, we have other stories that we need to bring together, in you know, in and just have our kids get back on point in understanding who they are. Yeah, and that's one thing Europeans have done beautifully is the ability to collect and curate their stories and put their stories out there, right? right? right. So we have all these people, Europeans, that we celebrate, mm-hmm. right? Because the stories have been passed on from generations and generations and it gives them a sense of pride and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, it's the same thing with us. Mm-hmm. Can we? That's why this season is so important, in my view, is that we are bringing the stories that remind us of our power, mm-hmm. remind us of that we come from greatness, right? right? And packaging these stories and curating them, I couldn't agree more. What are you thinking, Wayaki? Absolutely. You know, we, we used to read about Hercules. Uh-huh. Uh, Even Christopher Columbus. Yes, right. Christopher Columbus. <laughs> right? Yeah. He was a mythical figure. Right. The only way we know about these people is because these stories were told and written, uh, drawn, mm-hmm. uh, made into cartoons, now big blockbuster movies, right? So even for us, we need to be able to progress in that, in that way to be able to leave these stories for our, our next generations. Yeah, and I'm going to add one more challenge to us, which is when we start evaluating stories to give our stories the same amount of weight as we give European stories, right? Because sometimes we can think ours were not that yeah, great. Yeah, second right? rate. Mm. Exactly, second rate. Our warriors were not that fantastic. Right, but they mm-hmm. were. Right? Mm-hmm. Just reminding ourselves that our stories, it's not a matter of comparison, are great, mm-hmm. right? And not to diminish them. Right. Agreed. Right? Because mm-hmm. we've all been conditioned. Agreed. To yeah. somehow diminish our own stories. Yeah, I, I would also hope that these stories, you know how when we went to uh, secondary school, primary schools, I would hope that the stories in the future would be our stories yeah. as opposed to, you know, other culture stories. Because Kenya has so many. so many stories from all our, our communities in Kenya. We have thousands of stories that we can uh, publish, write, and consume as a, as a nation. Yeah, I, mean, I think at this point, I would like to issue an offer to our listeners, right? That if at any time you come up with a story, right? You'll hear King Ori just told us some of his story. Wayaki will tell us some of his story, family story, ancestors, right? I'll tell you some of our stories. Is that if you've got some of these stories that you want to share, Email us, Absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. And we would be so happy to help in collecting these stories. And telling right? them, right? And telling them. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. 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 Wow. Anyone have final words here before I close out? What do you think is a better dance? Kevata or the ones you guys are dancing nowadays? Ah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can you imagine these strong... Um, what shall we call them? Warriors. Uh, Just uh, visualize that, right? Uh, With arrows and, I mean, swords. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, beasts. These are like beastly men. 
dancing. There's yeah, no comparison. You know, you don't think the the new uh, rap videos, those <laughs> dances are good. You don't think so? Oh, the, the ones guys just leaning against the wall. Yeah, lean yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't think that's <laughs> Can it be compared to Kepata? I cannot be compared. <laughs> Not only from the ah, just that masculine energy, yeah, but even from the, the sexiness. <laughs> 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 All right, <laughs> let us move on. We okay. apologize to our parents <laughs> who are listening to this podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, let us now. Um, you know, I'm gonna say this before I ask. Wayaki to tell us about what the next episode is about. Okay. But I want to thank you, King Ori, for telling us this beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And I feel that for me, the thing that I'm most left with is how there was so much intentionality that kept slave trade away from our people. So what that means that our fits could have been very different if, you know, uh, Wangobe Waihura did not exist. So okay. thank you for reminding us, right, of our, just, that our, our destiny had so much to do with our ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, so thank you as well, Waiyaki. And with that, I think I'll ask you, what is our next episode going to uh, be about? Who's our next it's hero? It's going to be about Waiyaki Wahiga. Oh! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we go deep into your... Your ancestry. Ancestry, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. I will see you all on the next episode.